What is up, you beautiful bastards? It's your boy, 4Pack, aka Rabbi Cantlers, aka Noah Kagan. Influencer marketing is huge. Everyone's on YouTube, Instagram, talking about all these products. And I wanted to figure out how the hell do we do influencer marketing in different businesses? So if we're in e-commerce, if we have an online store, if we have SaaS, if we have digital products, whatever it is, how do we find and use influencers to grow our business? So I found Josh Snow. Josh Snow does a at-home teeth whitening system, yes, which sounds super boring and pretty uninteresting, but until you hear that he's gotten Floyd Mayweather and Ron Gronkowski as one of many influencers to promote his business, which he's able to grow in a few years to $50 million within the past three years. Josh breaks down exactly how he was able to do the influencer marketing, talks about a lot of the tools in the organizations, and shows you and me exactly how to do influencer marketing in our business. Super excited to hear about this. You can check out his teeth whitening, trysnow.com to check it out and look at it for yourself. In this conversation, you're gonna learn three major things. Number one, how to reach these influencers and the exact things to say to them. Number two, strategies to discuss pricing. How do you actually figure out what to pay and how to pay them? Number three, the marketplace for influencers and brands and how do you get these super big names to get involved in your company? Enjoy those three things plus a bunch more ear nuggets along the way. Before we jump into the conversation, go check out halldrop.com. That's H-A-U-L-D-R-O-P.com. Drop and upvote your favorite products. It's a new thing that we've been working on as we want to promote the dopest new products that people are making online. So if you want to check out what the latest products are, go to halldrop.com. That's H-A-U-L-D-R-O-P.com. Also, a special pre-show shout out to listener Luis Corville saying, I love marketing tips from the USA. Thank you so much, Luis. I appreciate every single one of you when you leave comments or tell me about the show. If you want to shout out in a future episode, leave an iTunes review. I check every single one of them. It is interesting with your stuff because you guys don't have your name on things with the, the tri-snow. So I'm always kind of weirded out when I see that. What do you mean the name? Like your name's not on it, is it? Like personal name? Yeah. Oh, I'm everywhere. I've done probably 100 podcasts the last 12 months and probably 20 stages. I go by Josh Snow too. It's not my face on the product. They're not buying it because of me. So no, my name is not physically on the products. We're redesigning the about page, putting the whole team on there. One of the top search things is like Snow Teeth Fighting Founder. So people find me. They usually follow me on Instagram after a while. I have a lot of customers who end up following me after. But no, I don't have my name on there. You're talking about like the about page. Yeah, I always find it kind of interesting when the companies don't have that. Yeah, I mean, it's not like my, I'm not a dentist or a doctor. I just brought on the CFO from Beach by Dre as an advisor and building the advisory team. I'm also raising our first round of funding right now. So that stuff is going to be changing. So we'll be putting out like, you know, about us, but there's not necessarily a benefit, and not right now at least, to having me on there. You know, I'm not a dentist, I'm not a doctor, you know, I'm just a 27-year-old entrepreneur, but the story will start to develop itself on the about page. But right now, up till now, we haven't used any of my, you know, my name or my, you know, network on the website directly. We use a lot of celebrities, obviously. Dude, how do you pronounce your your last name properly? It's Ilizechi. This is like the hardest last name, Ilizechi. It's Basque. It means church house in Basque, actually. My dad was born in Spain and then uh, immigrated here. That's why I've been going by Josh Snow for the last like two years just because it's been so difficult for people like on podcasts and things like that to say my name. So I was like, all right, just call me Josh Snow. And then kind of stuck. They're like, oh, you're Josh Snow. And I was like, well, that's not my last name, but my last name is so difficult. Just call me Josh Snow. I think that's what's so cool about European names. They have meaning. Like my name Noah in Hebrew means comfortable. And like Elizetti means, you said church house? Church house, yeah. So before we jump into this one, I was super excited to talk with you. You actually sent me a complimentary kit for snow and my fiance was just like ballistic about it. She's like, I'm going to brighten my teeth forever. I'm going to be the sunshine. (laughs) But before I even want to get into that, I have a feeling about something. So I'm just going to jump into that. What's your guys' road? Because it sounds like you've been around for two years and I have this feeling it's insane. So we've been around three years and we'll do about 50 million direct to consumer this year, still mostly off of one product. But we launched with Target, Neiman Marcus, and we've got a few other big retailers that we're launching in this year that will kind of, you know, hopefully add to that. I've been doing this for 12 years in terms of like online marketing. So I followed your stuff for a long time. It's actually actually been a huge fan of everything you've been building. Thanks, man. Like the early AppSumo days and all that. So yeah, we're still doing it. I've been around for a while. I know it's incredible. I've been kind of following you and a couple others. And two of my best friends created Tuft & Needle, the first bed in a box company. Dating and JT. So those are like my childhood best friends and trying to figure out like what I was going to disrupt, you know, and I wanted to 
create a physical products business. And I had been going to oral surgery at the time. But anyway, we'll go into that later or whatever. But anyway, I've been a huge fan of yours for the longest. Dude, thank you. And then I saw that giveaway stuff that you were doing. I was like, man, I was like, I wonder if I've got this guy's like number, like I should hit him up. Like I want to at least send you some product more out of like, kind of like check out what I built because I've been following you for so long. And here we are. So there's so much to unpack. And, and the reason I was excited to share this episode with all the listeners was really about your influencer marketing. You got to 50 million in three years. So that just sounds insane because there's so many interesting products being made right now. There's a lot of software stuff and that's what AppSumo does. And so we're experimenting with all these like hardware products and e-commerce. But how did you go from zero to 50 in three years? You know, direct response advertising. I mean, if we break it down, like legitimately, Facebook ads, Instagram ads, the celebrities certainly add to the premium positioning. Like we, you know, we have 500,000 customers who were always the most expensive in the market. If you compare us to other at-home systems and stuff. So really what the celebrities have allowed us to do is position the brand as a premium oral care products brand. And the celebrities help us cut through some of the noise. But at the end of the day, it comes down to aggressive direct response advertising. So really only probably 5% of our revenue comes from deals with like Kardashians and Floyd Mayweathers and all that type of stuff. It's really about the brand positioning. My whole end game, I pay myself $60,000 a year. And so my whole end game is building enterprise value. It's a long-term bet with the celebrities. It's already paying off because the retailers are super keen on bringing in brands that have that type of influence. And we had 8 million people shop the website last year. The 100 million unique people who have seen the ads. So it comes down to spending millions and millions of dollars on advertising and doing so profitably. You know, no easy feat necessarily, but it's also not magic. It turns out a lot of people have teeth. And uh, because of the, the appeal of the selfie and social media and vanity, teeth whitening is where we started and kind of what we're known for. And now, you know, we just launched our toothpaste and we're launching our mouthwash. And we're fortunate to have retail partners with, you know, 10,000 locations that will allow us to get into a lot more hands. Right now, we're still about 95, 96% direct to consumer on our website or Amazon. That will start to shift as we dive deeper into wholesale with dentists and med spas and then obviously retail. One thing I'm, I'm really fascinated with, especially with the products, is like, how does it get created? You're not a dentist. It sounds like you had a lot of teeth, you know, surgery and so forth. But how did you go from that to even having a product to give it out to people and start selling on it, advertising and influencers? I just literally went on Google and started searching dental supplies. Literally, I spent a good amount of time just digging through, going to Alibaba, Trade Key, going to Thomas Reuters, or whatever, going to all the supply websites. And I literally just blasted everybody and said, you know, do you make teeth whitening products right now? Can you send me samples? Can you send me the, the ingredients you're using? And then I was leaning on my oral surgeon, my, my orthodontist to, you know, help me formulate that. Over the years of spending so much time and so much money on my smile, I probably spent $100,000 now on my smile. I had a misaligned jaw. So I would, after talking for 30 minutes, I'd get horrible headaches, migraines, like horrible joint pain, where I'd have to literally like ice it and stuff. And I knew that I would be talking and speaking, you know, a lot for the rest of my life. So I was like, I need to do something about this that solves it. The oral surgeon, seven and a half hour surgery, took out my top jaw and, you know, rearranged it, put it back in my head, 16 screws, four plates. That was like the most painful decision I made, but also the best decision because now I don't have any pain whatsoever. But along that process, I've had braces multiple times. I've been whitening my teeth since I was like 14 years old. So like I've been very focused on my smile. I think a lot of it was being a, a teenage entrepreneur. I'd had some insecurity around my smile. And I think I wanted to like, you know, have a good first impression to me. That was something that I kind of prioritized. But along the way, I realized all the products were so ugly. You know, there was this kind of disruption happening in mattresses and all these other kind of dormant categories. And I'm like, what about oral care? I mean, that's a massive market. And as I started to dig through and talk to suppliers, you know, in China, Taiwan, South Korea, and get samples, and then talking to, you know, the dentist I was, you know, a patient of, and they're like, yeah, sensitivity is a big thing. Can I do the Zoom system, which is like 500 bucks in the office? Or you can buy some white strips for 50 bucks. There's really not anything in between. And the reason why I started with teeth whitening, or I started with teeth whitening, was because it's the only thing I could do that they did that I didn't need to be like, you know, a doctor or a dentist or have to be in person for. So that kind of is the reason why. That was the only hole that was available for me at the time to kind of build something unique within. And now we've got toothpaste and floss and all the other stuff. But I needed a, a high average order value. You know, I've been media buying for a long time. So I kind of knew that I needed enough margin. I needed enough of, a, of an average order value to be able to compete long term 
buying media and do so profitably. We've raised zero dollars of outside funds. You know, I put a couple of million dollars now up to this point of my own money. You know, we're still self-funded in, in that aspect. Sometimes when I hear companies that grow really fast, and one, all of us are haters, right? Everyone who's listening, especially people listening are like, ah, oh, this guy's a bum and oh, he just got it from China and you know, uh, you know, whatever hater stuff that we all do. And sometimes I do think though, does it, is it easy come easy go? You know, there's some that grew super fast and have stuck around. You know, Facebook has been able to do that. AppSumo has been able to do that on a very smaller scale. But sometimes I wonder that with these companies where if you're able to find it from China and do that and put this out there, is it easy for others to just copy that? And how fast does that potentially go away? Yeah, I don't know. We've been knocked off. We've got five patents pending. They're still pending, but we've spent significant money in research and development. I've got true engineers who work for me that are, you know, 50 years old that have been doing it for, you know, 30 years. So we have real technology. We have real science. Like we put our money where our customer's mouth is. And that, you know, that's what we always say, but like really double down on the innovation. And we're shutting down knockoffs and people who try to copy us probably every other week. So it happens. The interesting thing is that when you create a brand, particularly in a business in a commoditized space like oral care, you know, once people switch to you, we have less than a 1% return rate on our products, although we guarantee everything. You know, our products simply work. We believe that they work better than the, the other options on the market. You've seen the products, I mean, from packaging to the quality of the product itself. And we've never outsourced fulfillment. We've never outsourced customer support. So, you know, when you build a brand brand like Zappos, it's like, can other people sell shoes online? Absolutely. Like, there's a lot of things, right? You could knock off, but no one has been able to achieve the success that we have, particularly in teeth whitening. We dominate that space. And we've got more website traffic than Crest and Colgate now. So it's like, as we roll out the rest of our products, can someone else make a toothpaste? Absolutely. Toothpaste is out there. But there's something about a brand that people will spend the $2,000 on a Louis Vuitton briefcase when you could get a briefcase anywhere else, or you could even buy a knockoff Louis Vuitton. But people want the real thing. And I think we've spent enough money now to position ourselves there. And I think we've followed through with the product quality and the way that we create products. We don't sell anything that we haven't created, you know, like ourselves. We're not white labeling stuff. Everything we've done is we've created, you know, essentially from scratch. So from ingredients to all of that. So I think when you create a brand, just like skincare, you see brands that have been around for 50 years, someone can grab that ingredient list, knock it off and change the name a little bit. But there's a reason why companies are where they're at. There's the Dysons and the Apples and the Facebooks. It's a consistent focus on product quality, taking care of the customers. In the grand scheme of things, in an $80 billion market, you know, 50 million is a small drop. Toothpaste alone is a $27 billion market. So when you think about our addressable market, which is people with teeth, it's not so much of a easy come, easy go. I think we've got a long way to go to really being significant in our category. I think we're really ignored by most of the big guys still. We're just too small. Yeah, we've grown pretty fast, but 50 million is just a tiny drop in the sea of things of oral care. I'm a little confused though, because you, you went and sourced it. So how did you guys source it and then customize it? We found the factories first. The factories, they were already making, you know, toothpaste, toothbrushes, you know, teeth whitening serums, you know, and supplying dentists as well. I mean, it started off just through email and then eventually like WhatsApp and WeChat. And as we were, you know, selling the first few pieces of those version one, which is really just me, I created the first version of the website and I could have put a lot more money in this. I, I, you know, I was sitting on millions of dollars in, in my bank account. I could have put, you know, $5 million and built a world-class team and tried to do that from the start. I really put really like a hundred thousand dollars aside to see if this was even something I wanted to venture down. I put a couple of irons in the fire to see, you know, which market was I going to disrupt. And really the first, you know, 100, 200 orders that came through, you know, I was picking up the phone and opening up the Shopify order and calling those customers and trying to understand, like, how were they using the product? And, you know, the return rate was a lot higher back then because we didn't lock down the formula like we have it now. The technology, the light wasn't as effective, you know, as we wanted it to be at the very beginning. And so just through iterations, we treat product development like we would look at software development, you know, adding features and listening to the listening to our customers. So we change our user manual every few months to make it more and more clear as we learn more about how our customers are using the product. We change our packaging, our mailers. I mean, everything is constantly being questioned. Is this the best experience for our customers? But it started off with email. It was like, hey, what are you making now? Send me some samples. What are the ingredients? Can you add this ingredient to it? Could you add another whitening agent to it? If I'm being honest, it was like me being in the kitchen, like just poking around with ingredients. And then I would give them to my friends who became my friends, my dentist, you know, my orthodontist and get their take on it. 
and they were nice enough to actually use the product and give it to the dental hygienist in the office and then eventually use it on the patients. And to this day, they still sell Snow products. So they've kind of been a part of that whole iterative process of taking a product and making it better by listening to our customers. Is the cord too short? Is it too long? Is it you know not working on iPhone 11? How do we come out with an adapter as quick as we can? Like it's a constant process versus toothpaste. It's either in the tube or not. That electronic component has created a lot of complexity in our business, but it's also allowed us to stand out. There's no shortcut around it. Of your revenue, how much of it comes from the ads versus influencers? I would say probably 70%, 75 comes from ads and then maybe 15% from influencers. It used to be higher. Consumers are a lot smarter now. They they know if, if Kim Kardashian's holding a product and saying, I love this product, go buy this product. People know now that there might be a sponsorship behind that and they're not trusting it the same way that they used to. And that's good because that's forced us to adapt. That's forced us to focus on our customers becoming influencers. We have a very fast growing ambassador program for our customers to recommend the products. You know, if they like it, they can recommend it and change their Lincoln bio. So we've evolved the last three and a half years from what I call the middle market of influencers. So anyone with 500,000 to 5 million followers, we used to spend $20,000 on a post with someone who had 2 million, 3 million followers. But uh, just because they have the followers doesn't mean that people are going to buy what they post or they trust what they're posting. What we're finding now is when our customers post, you see your sister post it, you see your cousin post it, and then you see your friend from high school post it. That's more impactful in terms of driving a sale than simply you know a Kim Kardashian posting it. We've migrated over to the micro-influencer and the niche influencer, you know, the unboxing you know, beauty videos on YouTube. Like We've moved to that market. It's a little bit more hectic to manage. We still manage everything through Google Sheets. You know, we don't use any software. Anymore. There's a bunch of directory-type softwares out there. But you know, we look for someone who we think would do well and send them the product. They like the product. And we offer to do some type of sponsorship. A lot of the content we have on YouTube, you know, thousands of videos are customers themselves wanting to be like the influencers they saw before they bought or influencers in general. Everybody kind of wants to be an influencer now, wants to get free product and, you know, all that. So we took advantage of that. When you have a high value product, you know, $150 product, and they're getting it for free or for reduced cost, there's kind of that unspoken expectation that they're going to post about it. And so... Just like uh, Kind Bars and you know lots of other businesses grow through sampling, you know we kind of take that same example to the micro influencers. It sounds like you've morphed the program into instead of like mainstream celebs doing influence where people are like, yeah, we get it, you're paid, we don't believe you, versus like let me inspire, not inspire, but like kind of incentivize me to tell my friends. But let's go back to the beginning of this. I think the ad stuff will probably dive in because I think a lot of people are like, hey, I create a product. Like my friend created this thing called Chop Fit. It's an axe you use for workouts. So I think he would want to know how to do like, how do I do the ads? How do I do the influencer? Let's start with the influencer. Just walk me through, especially because you guys have like, you know, Gronkowski and Mayweather, the two like flagships, at least in my opinion. How did you build up to being achieving them? And walk me through from, especially early on uh, with your influencer right. program. Within six months, I got a call from a producer who had seen one of our Facebook ads and they were producing a show, not a spinoff of Shark Tank, but kind of like Shark Tank, but for professional athletes. So instead of, you know, business superstars being on the panel like Mark Cuban, they have football superstars and NBA superstars, you know, like Rob Gronkowski. And he happened to be an executive producer of the show. And he was like the main judge of that show. So I get a call from a producer. She's like, hey, I see your guys' ads everywhere. And like, this is pretty cool. Like I ordered the product. It's pretty dope. Like, would you consider maybe coming on and pitching to the judges who are, it was called MVP, the show. It was like, you know, these, these superstar athletes and they're not going to give you money. But in exchange for equity, they'll give you their social capital. And I said, well, that sounds pretty interesting. Like, who's on the show? And she mentioned a few people. She mentioned Rob Gronkowski. And through my research, just literally on Google, found that you know, men under-indexed, like they weren't, still aren't buying teeth whitening at the same rate that women are and were. And so I saw an opportunity for us to capture kind of that um, underserved market with men. And I thought about it. And she said, Chuck Liddell would be there. Rob Gronkowski would be there. And I said, well, they use mouthpieces. Chuck Liddell uses it when he's beating people up in the ring, UFC, and then, you know, Rob uses it to win Super Bowls. So I'm like, it's a mouthpiece, but this one happens to whiten your teeth. I'm like, I saw a little bit of match there. We ended up going on the show, not knowing anything was going on, really. Went on the show, and then all four judges that were there that day 
said yes to the deal, including the host of the show, which is like the first time they had done that. I didn't even know we could do that. She wanted in too. She was a UFC ring girl, Ariane Celeste, and she had 6 million likes on Facebook. I was like, why not? So all five wanted to go on the deal. We ended up settling in terms of equity, bringing Rob Gronkowski and Chuck Liddell as equity owners into the business very early on. You know, I think we had just passed like a million dollars in revenue or something like that. And Rob right away was like, it's a cool product, but I have super sensitive teeth. You know, I'm going to try this first for 21 days or whatever. And if it doesn't cause me sensitivity and it works, I'll hit you up. Like, I want to do it. Chuck Liddell was in pretty much right away. Like, he really was excited. He's like, my wife spends a lot of money on her teeth. And, you know, I think this is really cool. He loved the mouthpiece component. He's like, this feels like a UFC mouthpiece. So well, I got lucky in that aspect. But then once that deal closed, where I gave him a percentage of the company. How much do you have to of- give? I know you can't sell any specifics, but like, what's the range and how'd you figure out how to value your kind of smaller business at that point? One to 5%. And, per person um, or total? Per person. I guess, how did you figure out how much to give? Like, my thought is like, well, how much is it worth to have Gronkowski? Is that worth 10,000? And what's the equivalent of that in that equity? I knew that we were going to run into challenges with like ad approvals, like before and after. This is how we sell our products. And that's a big no-no for Facebook ads. But I knew that we needed, just like the CBD space you see blowing up now, like there are alternative ways to market that type of business. And actually, Rob Gronkowski is now a partner in CBD Medic, um, CBD company. But what I saw was if we were celebrity, you know, we had celebrity owners, that might carry some weight when we're, you know, talking to ad networks or we're talking to other celebrities as well. And here's the deal. I mean, look, that equity is going to be worth tens of millions of dollars potentially. And looking back on it, you're like, oh man, I shouldn't have done that. I should have given less. Like, sure, that's just a way back in my mind. But I'm like, I didn't know that this was going to blow up the way that it did. Like, they took a gamble too. And they're, I don't pay them anything. So in terms of cash, so they really took a gamble. They took a bet with their name and their face on it. And the thing is, the number one question we get is, does this really work? And so if you see people buy from who they like and trust, you know, I saw Chuck Liddell and Rob Gronkowski having millions of followers and I would say overall consensus is they respect Rob, they respect Chuck, and they also touch that male demographic that's kind of underserved. Honestly, when I looked at it, I said, okay, what am I going to value the business at? I don't know, 10 million bucks, 5 million bucks. And I said, what is it really worth? Is it going to kill me down the line if I own 90% of the business instead of 100% of the business? And I saw the opportunity to then go after other celebrities if I said, hey, this is Rob and Chuck's company as well as mine, and we would like you on board. And so I saw the opportunity to leverage the celebrity-owned angle. Okay, so one, I think that's really interesting. You reminded me of my buddy Ramit, where he would get featured in an article on some site. And then on his site, for everybody else, he would put like, hey, I was just featured on this site. So if you're coming from there, thanks. And it kind of reminds me where you're taking something that you can leverage their name, which I think people kind of get, but it's an interesting uh, tactic from your ads to using it to get other celebrities. Did you use like discount codes for them? Did you track how many sales are actually driving? Or was it really more like, hey, it gives me clout, I can do ads with it, and it's a long-term play? We saw early on with the return on ad spend, like the profitability on using a celebrity in front, they got the click. The engagement was higher, still is, using a celebrity on that ad versus a random person or just a picture of the product. So I knew very quickly that we would have a leg up on everybody else because we could legitimately put a celebrity in an ad and we would get the higher click-through rate, the more clicks and engagement, Facebook rewards you with a lower cost per click or cost per thousand impressions. And so our cost for acquiring customers, especially for an unknown brand, was low enough that I felt confident in that strategy of, I'm not gonna use coupon codes. You know, we use them, like I'm not saying we don't, but I don't rely on them because again, we want the celebrity to actually like the product, use the product, talk about it authentically. We don't script anything. And then, you know, if there's a coupon code there, you immediately know that this person is getting paid. So we wanted to authentically promote the product through celebrities without having to necessarily track. And when we do track it, by the way, we never make money. Let's say you spent $500,000 on a Kardashian. Like I personally would be shocked if you made $100,000 in sales. But what you're looking for, at least what I'm looking for, is brand equity. I'm looking for enterprise value. I'm looking for now all the retailers we have, the largest retailers in North America, we've never been to a trade show they're requesting our product. They want us. They don't want anyone else. And when you're talking about a boring space like oral care, and you've got the celebrity effect of other industries like skincare in a boring space like oral care, the retailers are like, this is fresh. Like This is different. And what I realized at the time was that celebrities weren't really valuing their social media presence. 
the way that they would in an offline scenario or like a 360 deal or a commercial, you know, TV commercial or anything like that. I could have something produced for zero. They can make the video on their iPhone. They could get it in front of 10 million followers in an instant. And um, I wasn't paying the millions of dollars that you would pay if you did the, you know, a full TV commercial and produced all that. So I saw that kind of early on and particularly in our space where oral care is boring, you know, it's something that people don't traditionally buy online. You know, I saw that opportunity to step in front with the celebrities to grab that engagement to say, wow, this is different. And I will say the celebrities also help hike up that positioning. So if you see celebrities posting it, usually people think it's too expensive for them to afford. And then they see that it's, you know, a hundred bucks or they can get a payment plan for 37 bucks, no interest. They're like, well, I can have the same thing that, you know, Kardashian is using for 37 bucks a month in four installments. Like that's affordable. Like I want that. And so all of a sudden, you know, you start to create this ripple effect. And what happens, what truly happened is other agents saw Gronk posting. They saw Chuck Adele posting. An agent's job is to find deals, you know, bring deals into the door. And so they saw, wow, Snow must have a lot of money to be doing all the celebrity stuff. I'm going to hit them up. And then once they hit me up, it's an opportunity for me to, you know, sell the vision of what we're doing and really try to get the best deal I can. Floyd Mayweather's team came to us. He had that Conor McGregor fight. And Conor McGregor had promoted an Australian competitor of ours. And so Floyd had asked the team to say, hey, find me an American brand that's better than that because I want to beat Conor, you know, outside the ring too. Like I want to, I want something like that. You know, they searched around, they found us. We probably retargeted the heck out of them, remarketed them. And they eventually reached out to us and said, hey, Floyd wants to do a deal. He's looking for a teeth whitening partner. And I said, okay, let's talk about it. Just on the phone, we started talking of ideas, the best ever knockout cavities, go undefeated against stains. We started kind of messing around with that verbiage. And then we ended up striking a deal for a price that he normally maybe would not have moved on if he wasn't motivated internally. And if he didn't, you know, if he wasn't excited by the deal. And I think one thing we've done is we're not just selling a crappy product from China wrapped in a plastic bag and sent to customers. It's something that that celebrities would actually use. It's a prestige positioning. I think that does lend itself. One thing that you said that was, that's pretty interesting around that stuff is so Mayweather's people hit you up or just you saw the McGregor thing and started advertising towards Mayweather? No, no, they hit us up. I was actually disturbed a little bit because I was like, oh man, they've got Connor. That was awesome. Like great move on their behalf. And then I get an email from someone on their team and like, hey, we want to chat. Connor McGregor did something similar. We want to do something like that longer term. Without Connor doing that deal with the competitor, I don't think Floyd Mayweather would have ever thought about us. I don't think his team would have ever reached out to us. It opened his mind up to doing a teeth whitening deal, anything in oral care. And he's got a great smile, but uh, it really opened the door for us to have that conversation. And that deal ended up working really well, again, you know, to our young male audience. And then from that deal, we started to move more toward the female audience. As we recognize our customer demographics, we realize our business is still 65% female. So we didn't want to alienate our core customer because we were getting excited about all these athletes. With Floyd, was it another equity deal as well? No, Floyd has a, a licensing arrangement and a, it was an upfront kind of cash component to kind of get the ball rolling. And then there's a licensing. So and we've got like a, the best ever line coming out, which is champagne mouthwash, champagne toothpaste, a gold plated, you know, addition of our teeth winding system. So we got that stuff rolling out this year that is his line of products. So any product that's sold, whether it's in Neiman Marcus or on our website or on Amazon, he's getting a kickback for um, that licensing of products. So that was kind of a, a hybrid deal. Now we do com- much more complex deals with our celebrities where it's like licensing. It'll be a percentage of media ad spend that we pay the celebrity, you know, upfront cash, sometimes in tranches based on how much content they're creating and how often they're posting. What are some of the more complex deals? The deals we're looking at now include licensing. So anywhere between 7 to 10% of revenue derived from that licensed line of products. Let's say I did a deal with, with you, right? So Noah's line of toothpaste, mouthwash, et cetera, anything that's got your name on it, or it's a flavor that we've tied to your name, you're going to get 7 to 10% of revenue that is generated from the sale of those type of products. And generally, there's like a five-year term, seven-year term on those type of products. And then in order to create content, for us to use to promote that, you know, we might set aside 50,000 bucks and that's an upfront payment to justify you creating content because we don't know how it's going to sell. And then if we're going to run media, 
like Facebook ads using Noah's face, your face, we're going to say, we'll give you X percent of the spend that we spend against your face so that you're incentivized for us to promote this line of products. I get a percent of every ad dollar you spend? Every ad dollar that has your face or your name in it. That's interesting. But you guys didn't have to do that with the guys you gave equity to, it sounds like. No, it, it was a lot easier. It was, I mean, it's not super hard now, but it was a little bit easier back then because I would, if I'm being honest, the agents, they didn't understand the complexity of these deals. Like they were treating it as, oh, wow, he's got Instagram. He uses it for fun. I mean, dang, 50 grand. He gets to do a 30 second video. Heck yeah, let's do it. Then all of a sudden, Kylie Jenner, I think was really the turning point where they said, oh my gosh, a celebrity can create their own brand and sell it for a billion dollars. Like I'd be a billionaire. So now all the celebrities are like, well, I don't know if I want to promote a lot of other products. They become more picky. They're like, if I'm going to promote something that I don't own, they become a lot more equity hungry. I would say now they want a piece of it because now they understand the value of that social media reach, you know, for a brand where back in the day it was like, oh, 20 grand, I'll do a post for you. That's not a problem. Like who cares? Now they're wanting 200 grand or they're wanting equity or they're saying, wait, you're going to run ads with my face on it. Like I'm not cool with that. So we've had to adapt throughout the years as the agents and the managers and the celebrities have become more keen on the value of their social media reach. You know, you said once you put Gronk in the CTR and stuff like that better, what was like the ROI of before celeb and after celeb? So I would say there's like a 50% bump on the effectiveness. It depends on the celebrity. For example, Floyd Mayweather is incredible when we run him to 18 to 34 year old males. We run that same creative to 35 and up female. It does not convert converts worse than our own non-celebrity ads. So it really depends on that mix because if the celebrity has a polarized audience, that's going to show up in the comments on your ads. That's going to show up in the way that people engage with your ads and how seriously they take your ads. We ran a fun campaign with Charlie Sheen. I didn't think too much into it, but snow also means cocaine. So when you run Charlie Sheen with a snow ad, nobody took it seriously and it's like this guy is mega famous everybody recognizes him by the way engagement was through the roof everybody was liking it sharing it commenting so facebook's like yeah guys you got it like they're giving us the lowest cost per clicks we're like we figured it out and nobody bought so then we're like why is nobody buying well if you look at the comments nobody's actually taking it serious you know they're clicking on it because they want to see what it is but they're not taking charlie sheen's you know recommendations seriously so we killed that campaign very quickly because we realize it's not just about recognition and how big their reach is. It's actually, do people like this person? Do they trust this person? So for example, Ellen DeGeneres would be, I mean, for any brand, but she would be incredible. She makes people laugh, which is a smile, has to do with teeth. She's not very polarized, you know, for the most part. I mean, everybody kind of likes her. You either love her, you like her, you're like, you're cool with her. So someone like that with that reach is much more powerful than even a Kris Jenner or Kim Kardashian because Kim Kardashian might have 150 million followers, but there might be 20 to 30% of that follower base that follow her, but don't necessarily trust her. Maybe they don't like her for some reason. They can't put their finger on it, but they're just like, I don't like her. Like, you know, maybe she's been overexposed in the media, or I don't like our, her surgeries, or I don't like her past relationships. When you're spending, you know, millions of dollars on ads, it does start to show up and it starts to turn the tide. There's also a half-life on the celebrity. So we spend a lot of, on advertising. So it might work really well for the first $100,000 in ad spend or $500,000 in ad spend. But after that, it might start to turn the tide a bit. It's like, I'm tired of seeing Rob Gronkowski promote this stuff. Get back on the field. Get back in the game. He's selling out. It does start to turn the tide a little bit. So we started to do some more unique stuff. Like we did a music video shoot with Rob Gronkowski with the Ice Ice Baby kind of remix where it's snow, teeth, whitening, dun, 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 dun. And it's him dancing. He's in a white fur coat. He's got the device in his mouth. It garnered 2 million views just on his organic post on social media. Did it drive a ton of sales? Not necessarily, but it was a huge brand spillover for us. And you know, TMZ picked it up and all that. We were just on the, the Kelly Clarkson show last month with Gronk. He was wearing his snow jacket and he gave away snow to the whole audience. So there are different things we're doing from a branding play. And I think that's dangerous if you're a smaller business. I think as a smaller business, you want to be thinking about ROI. You want to be thinking about that return on ad spend. And that's where running that person as an ad is going to come into play. And anyone listening can go to like bookingagentinfo.com or contactanycelebrity.com. You know, we have subscriptions to these sites for like 50 bucks a year or whatever. And you can literally type in any celebrity. 
It gives you all their managers' contacts. Let's go back in time to when you first got this started. What are the two steps on the influencer thing for someone just getting going, like my buddy on ChopFit, or like, you know, Strong Coffee is a little bit more known. And then what's the advertising thing that I guess started that? The best thing that still works for us to date is I love YouTube. I'll just say that. I love YouTube. Instagram is great, but the algorithm has changed so aggressively that the organic reach is just not there anymore like it used to be. You're getting maybe 10% of your followers to see your posts. So, you know, what happens is that you've got these Instagram, you know, models, male and female who built a huge following because they're fitness stars or they're, they just take great pictures in bikinis or whatever it might be. And they've, they've gained millions of followers. So to an unsuspecting business owner, you're like, oh my gosh, this hot girl is willing to hold my product and promote it to 2 million fans. Well, little do you know, all those likes are just guys checking her out. They're not looking at what she's promoting and buying it and they're men. So a lot of times the mistake I see as an observer is I'll see these Instagram models, male and female, promote products that don't make sense. Now, if you're a beer company, you might want that model to promote your beer brand because you've got all these men following it and they think it's cool now because she's drinking that beer. Or if you're a vaping brand or a CBD brand, sure, YouTube is still a core part of our strategy because if you search, for example, coffee videos, one of the tactics that we still use, type in best coffee on YouTube, take the top 50 videos that rank right then and there and contact the channel, their Gmail's right on their channel. There's two things. So I just created ChopFit. Let's just do my, that one as an sure. example. Are you saying do the influencer route or do the ad route first? Because it sounds like you did the ad route and that got you some attention for going to influencers. We did both simultaneously. So what I'm saying is take ChopFit. Go to YouTube, search chopping recipes or whatever someone might be looking to make with that product. ChopFit is actually a, it's an axe that you work out with. So it'd be like, oh, sorry, sorry. Okay. No, 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 it's okay. Uh, so like new workout work, video or what would you think? Yeah, like CrossFit crowd that might be more apt to it. So searching CrossFit exercises at home on YouTube. Okay. You start with the top 10 that just show up right then and there. I'm going to open those 10 videos in a new tab, you know, one by one. And I'm going to see who made that video. Is it a person or is it a company? If it's a person, which nine times out of 10 it is on YouTube, I'm going to click on their channel to get to their profile, they're about on their YouTube channel. And, you know, if they've got more than 20,000 subscribers, they're probably going to have an email address in their about section on their YouTube channel profile. And usually it's them answering emails. If they got 20,000 subscribers, it's them. What's the email you sent? So I did this for our fam product, meetfam.com, which was email marketing for Shopify. I hit up all these Shopify drop shippers and they were these kids that all had Ferraris. No joke. They all had these Ferraris. It was just a weird experience. And so, you know, and I've done marketing in some years and I've, you know, worked with people and so forth. And so I was trying to figure out what was the best way for you to approach them? What I would do is, I still do this, is I would put in their budget deadline for sponsored post, approval needed in the subject line, and then budget approval needed for the sponsorship post, urgent, you know, or something along those lines in the subject line. I mix it up sometimes. So right away, they're like, budget, money, they see money, approval. What does that mean? We already talked about it. It's urgent. Wait, what's going on? You know, the open rates extremely high on the emails that we send because I, I do something aggressive in the subject line like that. They open it up. It's just a one paragraph saying, hey, Noah, you're not sure if we've talked before, but we need to lock down this budget. You have five minutes for a quick call. I need to get back to my team on, you know, how much we're allocating here for this sponsored video. And then put my phone number right then and there and then obviously follow up. Is your call to action get on the phone with me for five minutes? Always. Yeah, it's always get on the phone. If I can't get them on the phone, it's just going through email. It's not going to really go anywhere. If I get them on the phone, they know that I'm serious. I can talk to them about the product. I can ask them kind of what are their fees that you typically charge for a video? Here's my budget. Some of them will say, I want $5,000 for a video because they got one brand some time ago to pay them $5,000 for a video. So they think that's their new price. That's when I'll usually say, well, you know, here's what we're paying for those videos. $500 is what we're paying. So you got them on the phone. You said, hey, I've got a budget. Do they ask you like, how much is your budget? Or you just say, hey, let's get on the phone and talk about it first. I usually try to get them to say a number first. So let's get on the phone and chat about it. So I'm Noah Kagan, the YouTuber influencer for four people on marketing and, and startups. Let's just role play it out. So you, you sent me an email. What is this email saying? Email says, Noah, I need you to approve this budget today. Urgent. Okay. And then is it like, give me a call or is that it? You open up that email and it says, Hey, Noah, I know we haven't been able to get in touch this week. Is there any way you can give me a five minutes of your time so we can lock down this budget for the sponsored video? Thanks, Josh. And then my phone number. Boom. Okay. And then do they call right away or do they hit a response to be like, sorry, what did we talk? Because for me, I'm like, yo, I don't remember talking mm -hmm. to you. 
Exactly. Uh, a lot of them will respond and say, wait, what are you talking about? Or like, have we talked before or what's going on? You know, a lot of them will do that. Some of them will text me even. They'll text me and be like, hey, I just got your email. Like, what are you talking about? And I push, push, push for a five minute call. I won't answer many questions through the email. I try to get them to the phone. This is aggressive. This is behind the scenes of what we do. But this is why we get everybody responding to us. But you'll respond and be like, Josh, thanks for the email, but I don't remember talking to you. And I'll respond and say, hey, Noah, I don't think we've had a chance to connect, but I've got some budget here that I would like to work with you on. Do you have five minutes for a phone call today or tomorrow? So I'm constantly pushing for that phone call. So you get me on the phone. I'm like, all right, all right, Josh, I'm on the phone. What's up, man? So, hey, Noah, uh, listen, I looked at your profile, love the videos you're creating. I'm not sure if you've heard about our software or our product. No, no, I, I haven't. Okay, is it cool if I tell you a little bit, one minute about what we're doing and see if it's a good fit? Yeah, yeah, sounds good. So, you know, we run a company called Snow. We're an oral care products brand. I think you've got a great smile. I love the videos. Essentially, we set aside a budget every month for influencers like yourself to get free product and, you know, some budget to create a video with your review of it or an unboxing, you know, is that something that, you know, you're interested in doing? You think this is a good fit? And then, you know, if you're like, yeah, this sounds like a good fit or tell me more. And so then do I say the price for you? Like, hey, I've done these before. I'm gonna, I want $5,000 for a video. Yeah, I'll say, look, I know, you know, everybody has different prices and kind of what they're used to getting. I want to make sure that this is, you know, going to work within our budget. Can you give me an idea of, uh, you know, what you maybe have charged before for a video like this? Or have you done videos like this in exchange for product and cash? Can you give me an idea of, of what you typically charge? And I get them to say a price first. So they'll say, you know, a thousand bucks, 5,000 bucks, or they'll say it depends. You know, it depends on the video, it depends on how long it is. Okay, well, just give me an example of a five minute video where you unbox the product, you talk about it. What might that cost for a dedicated video like that? You know, then they're going to give me another price, right? So 2000 3000 It's generally always going to be higher than you end up wanting to pay or end up paying. But at least within five minutes, you can build rapport with this person, understand kind of what they're charging, and you can have a follow-up discussion. It's about timing. You'll be surprised at how many people I talk to that say, no way, I charge 5000 That's it. You know, that's what I charge. Okay, I understand. It's not going to fit right now within our budget, but things might change. Can you just keep me updated in case anything does change or an opportunity comes up to place us? In one of your videos, instead of a dedicated video, maybe an, an insert, and you'll be surprised when rents do or the Range Rover payments do of how many emails they get back saying, hey, you still looking to do something here? This works with celebrities too. They'll go buy a $75,000 Rolex and all of a sudden I'm getting an email from the agent or a text or a call saying, hey, are you still interested in doing this video with XYZ? Some opportunities came up. So it's all about timing. A lot of celebrities you got were because of timing. How do you figure out your budget for what you can pay? You know, I think you said something earlier where like these discount codes kind of show that it's maybe manipulated potentially or it's not as truthful. So like, how did you figure out the economics of what you can pay, let's say me for a YouTube video? A thousand per 100,000 would be ideal. So someone's got 1 million subscribers, if I can get a video for 10 grand and get in front of a million people, that's pretty solid. That's, you know, cheaper than I'm paying Facebook to get in front of that quality of viewer. So I'm looking at what am I spending per eyeball essentially. So if I'm running even a hundred bucks of Facebook ads a month, I can open up the Facebook ads dashboard. It'll tell me the CPM, which is the cost per thousand eyeballs. And if I'm paying, you know, $18 per thousand eyeballs, $10 per thousand eyeballs, $10 per thousand eyeballs is that thousand dollar, you know, number that I'm kind of playing with. So let's say you have a hundred thousand subscribers and I offer you a thousand bucks. The difference with YouTube is that that content is going to live on. So we try to recommend titles for the videos so that they can garner that the organic ranking, the organic views, and it lives there for 10 years. So there's a little bit more value put on a YouTube video. It's also a little bit more work. They're spending five minutes or 10 minutes talking about your product. It sits on their channel forever. So, you know, arbitrarily a thousand dollars per 100,000 subscribers is, is the goal. You know, there's a platform we use as well called FameBit. We don't use it to necessarily manage anything. It's just more of a directory. It's owned by Google. Google bought FameBit. Famebit is an influencer marketplace specifically for YouTube influencers that you can go and search fitness influencers, sort by how many subscribers they have. You can chat with them right inside of Famebit and they will give you those prices kind of right then and there within the platform. You can negotiate. Everything happens within Famebit. And we do a fair amount of Famebit transactions. The thing is, not everybody's on Famebit. So I'm trying to find that stay-at-home mom who makes videos to 100,000 subscribers that she's built over five years that is willing to take 2000 bucks to do a dedicated video for us and let it live there. She's going to put on their chop fit unboxing and review 
learn the secret truth or learn the hidden truth about this brand, or it's top fit versus axe fit, you know, my honest opinion. And so we're utilizing those YouTube videos to also position ourselves in the market, pick up those organic search queries, and we pay a one-time fee, but that content is going to live on. And we can also repurpose that video for YouTube ads, Facebook ads on our website. So we also look at it as we're getting content from someone reputable in addition to the reach that they have on their channel. And then do you give them a discount code or do you just have a link, like, please put this tracking link? Yeah, YouTube's awesome because we can do a UTM link right inside of the description. And I would say the majority of the time we're offering the influencer a coupon code if they choose to use it, you know, 15% off, 20% off. And then they can talk about it in the video. Like, you know, hey, I love this product so much. I reached out to the company and they gave me a, a coupon code for you guys to try it out. And it's in the description. You can click the link, the website's in there. And then we've got the UTM link right in there so we can track it at that level. And then we've got the coupon code that we can track as well. So YouTube is probably the best. Like if I was building a brand, you can get videos done for 50 bucks a pop on ThemeBit. They're not going to have 100,000 subscribers, but it doesn't matter because you know, you're going to be garnering those organic views over time since that video lives on. So if I have ChopFit, go look up all these people, look up, ignore the big guys to start, send a message saying, hey, I have a budget, get on with me for five minutes. Do you have a certain like profit percentage you're targeting? Like, I think what I'm, I'm curious or what I would be wondering is like, how do I know how much to pay? Did you be like, if it's this many subscribers, here's how many clicks, or is it just you start really small and then see what the numbers kind of look like? A lot of people don't have the budget, man. A lot of people are starting out with, you know, not a lot of money. hundred percent. Yeah. But in this day and age, if you're going to compete online, you need content, especially if you're in a B2C space you need that content. You need people using your product, talking about your product. And so I would say, I would set aside a thousand bucks even before you're going to spend on Facebook ads because that content is going to be gold for you. I mean, you can reuse that video content inside of your ads. I would say 50 bucks a video and I'm going to pay 50 bucks for an Instagram post. Or I would go to famebit.com, which is free to use. It's owned by Google and start looking around influencers there. You can also do the organic, I mean, the manual way we just talked about with YouTube. And then there's an iPhone app called Brand Snob that is like a Tinder for influencers. They've got like 100,000 influencers on there. And you can set up a campaign for 30 bucks, talk about your product. You have these influencers bidding to get free product in exchange for post. You could say your budget's $50 per post. You'll be surprised. You'll get 100 people to apply, even for the most obscure products. Now, not all of them are going to post because some of them just get the free product and forget about it or just take the product and run. But you're giving away product in exchange for Instagram posts. They're tagging you. You're building that awareness and you can then take that image of that person that posted, put it on your website. And now you create this effect within 30 days that your product is used by all these people all over the world and posted about everywhere. And look at all these YouTube videos. You can put them on your about page, you know, for a thousand bucks. So it's not like you need to go to Floyd Mayweather directly and grab him. Actually, what we're seeing in our advertising is user generated content you see all the big D2C brands, Casper, and you know, all the mattress brands, Smile Direct Club. User-generated content is just someone holding an iPhone saying, you know, I was so self-conscious about my smile. And then someone told me about snow. My teeth are wider than ever without sensitivity. I love it. You guys got to check it out. And it's just a random person in the middle of America. And our ads, for now we're seeing that that user-generated content is what is profitable for us. It's allowing us to scale. And we don't have to worry about licensing and you know, profit sharing and all this stuff with the big celebrities, it's not going to have the same positioning. It's not going to position you in the market as a celebrity brand, but not everybody needs to be a celebrity brand. But having a $50 video that you can use on your Facebook ads of someone talking about how awesome your product is, and then you retarget them with different videos of different people, all of a sudden it creates this FOMO effect in the mind. Here's a guy, here's a girl, here's an older dude, a younger dude, you know, here's a dude that looks like me. And they're all talking about this axe fit. Like, what the heck? I'm missing out. What is going on? I need to buy this thing. How did you start with the Facebook ads as well? I've been media buying since back in the days with Google. So Google search and all that self-taught, you know, you can learn on YouTube. You don't need to buy a Guru course or anything like that. The path I took was I actually became the media buyer. So I set up the first few ads, you know, myself thinking about what are other brands in our space that someone might be following or liking that would make them also like our brand and our customer. Once I had the first 100 customers or 200 customers, I downloaded that from Shopify, uploaded it to Facebook as a custom audience. They have what are called lookalike audiences. And that's why Facebook dominates because you give them 
500 of your customers. It could even be offline customers. Say you have an offline business and you want to start generating online business for your offline business. You can take 100 from your Excel sheet of emails of the customers in the last year, give it to Facebook and say, go find me more like them. Pop in that $50 video you got from Famebit talking about some of the benefits of your product. Send them straight to your Shopify store. You're off to the races at that point. Facebook kind of does most of the work for you. We really have people that kind of oversee it. Facebook has so much data on everybody. You give them that seed and they will go and find you buyers and they will they will spend as much money as you'd like to give them. What have been your biggest wins from doing this influencer thing? And maybe you don't want to name who they are, but maybe like what was the spend to the return? The big celebrities from a cash perspective, we've never made a direct ROI on those posts, but we now have every retailer that we could imagine hitting us up. And if we were to hit them up, we would lead with, you know, you've probably seen Floyd Mayweather, the Kardashians, Rob Gronkowski is my business partner. You know, this is the biggest thing in oral care. I'm surprised. I'm wondering why it's not in Sephora. Can we chat just from a LinkedIn search, find that person's email with rocket reach or something. And just from that alone, that celebrity owned kind of aspect has given us access to retailers. Dentists want to sell the product because they see Rob Gronkowski selling it. There's that cool factor that I think is an intangible that is going to eventually lead to, you know, a very, very successful exit or IPO, or just in general, if we hold the company forever, it's going to add to our brand value piggy bank. The other side that's more tangible are we got an influencer who's in Canada. She makes jewelry. She's a younger mom. I think, you know, early thirties with a couple kids. Her name's Lise, L-I-S-E. Her Instagram profile is Lise's Pieces, kind of like Reese's Pieces. And uh, you can look her up. She's got maybe 123,000 followers now if I was the ballpark. And she has driven you know, close to $100,000 in Shopify tracked revenue with her coupon code because the people that follow her actually really respect her. They actually really like her. And she's got 100,000 followers. Her deal was 100% commission-based. We never paid her a dollar outside of commission. So she's made twenty, thirty thousand dollars know, dollars promoting our products, but we took no risk on that. And so those are obviously the best return when we do something like that. We also did a deal with Beetlejuice. He used to be on the Howard Stern show and did some movies, like Scary Movie. He has no teeth. I was just a fan because I, I listened to Howard Stern and I hit up the Instagram page that he had and his manager was like, he doesn't do promos. And I was like, well, I want to do something funny. We're a teeth whining company, you know, oral care and Beetlejuice has no teeth. We just thought it'd be fun. He's got 250,000 followers. Why not? I think we paid, you know, a thousand bucks or something like that for that post. He doesn't do promos anymore, but we got in and that post probably drove $20,000 in trackable sales, but also a ton of celebrities follow Beetlejuice. And, you know, everybody was hitting me up from Russell Brunson to, you know, all the marketers in our space were like, dude, that was genius because this guy doesn't have teeth, but that's the first thing you think of when you see this guy. So there's kind of some of those off the wall that we've taken some small risk on and sometimes no risk with the commission only that have done really well. But I would say if I was to leave someone with something from this show, it's you don't need the Kardashians or the Floyd Mayweathers to move the needle in your business, especially if you're early on. You want to turn your current customers into, you know, influencers, give them the opportunity to either make money promoting your product or just incentivize them somehow, even with a gift card to post about your product. Those are your true customers. And then going after the, the smaller communities, you know, if it's AxFit, find the CrossFit guy that's got 50,000 subscribers who actually watch his videos, who actually care about what he's talking about and strike a deal with that guy, you know, as opposed to only saying, well, I can't afford Floyd Mayweather. I can't do what Josh does. The bigger opportunity is the 1 billion Instagram users who are not Kardashians. That's where the real money is. And I think that's where it's going. That's what we're starting to focus on as opposed to just the one-off celebrity deals because you never know what's going to happen. They could get in a scandal and all of a sudden you spent a hundred grand on a celebrity and now you can't use them anymore because you know they got caught cheating or you know whatever it might be. How does it work for non-D2C products? I mean, I think Facebook ads most people get and I, you know, the lookalike audience is, is relatively common now or most people understand that. But maybe using some of your stuff for like a software or non-physical brand? Yeah, exactly. So I, I started Snow Capital early last year. My future is going to be in hopefully investing and advising B2B and B2C. My background issue was in B2B, but I have a buddy of mine, Chris, who runs a company called Trainual. It's a training manual software SaaS product. Training is boring. I mean, what he's selling is productivity and cost savings. Nobody really cares about that. Or it's not exciting. And he followed the similar 
you know, method that I talked about in one of my presentations. He's a uh, local Phoenix guy. And, you know, he just raised a $15 million round. He's in Phoenix Sky Harbor Airport. And he, what he did is he got Kevin O'Leary. He paid, I think, like 5000 bucks or something like that to have a meeting with Gary Vaynerchuk. And one of the things of paying, you get a picture with Gary V that you can use. And it's literally like him hugging Gary Vaynerchuk. And then it's like him talking about the power of training or something like that. And it's literally just a picture of him and Gary V. And then there's another video of Kevin O'Leary. I don't know how much he paid for it, but it's literally a 10, 20 second video of Kevin O'Leary saying like, you know, if you own a business, you got to check out Trainual, get your training on on set. And then he like plays a guitar and that's it. So does it work in B2B? I think it absolutely does because actually I think it works better. People are so used to seeing the Kardashians and the Mayweathers promote B2C products, physical products, but software, being able to stand out, being able to have someone like Mark Cuban or anyone like that, or even the niche YouTubers are the ones that have 500,000 subscribers that, you know, value attainment and some of these channels reaching out to those guys and seeing, can you get an endorsement from a, a Lewis house to post, you know, on his Instagram story, because that's someone that people like and trust and they follow for that type of content. So if Lewis Howes is saying, go use this training software, you know, you've got a targeted audience there that you can run ads against. And it's like, oh my God, Lewis Howes, I love him. Oh my God, I learned so much from him. Wow, Gary Vee, I love him. I love him so much from him. He's endorsing this guy that runs Trainual. I got to check out Trainual. So if anything, it's a big blue ocean on B2B. It's just everybody thinks it doesn't work. But sales has not really changed since the beginning of time. It's they buy from who they like and trust. So let's summarize maybe the strategy for the people that are starting out. Or it sounds like it, you know it's working at a, at a larger scale too. So some of the things is you know super targeted ads. We got that part of it. Maybe walk through maybe the, some of the stuff. So it sounds like super targeted ads. Step two with the influencers. That actually is interesting. I feel like that really plays into your ad strategy, which is go after smaller ones to start, which I think is pretty known. And then with them, it's like, yo, let's get on the phone, budget, get them to actually buy in. Or you had a lot of really good recommendations we'll put in the show notes of a lot of different services from like FameBit. You mentioned Rocket Reach. That's really cool to find people's emails. Contact my agent. What was that one? Contactanycelebrity.com. Yeah. So you're doing a lot of those things to get a hold of people. And it sounds like, you know, even if you're starting out, like if you're ChopFit or if you have a service online, it's just do smaller buys, like $1,000 a month. I thought it was interesting. You said you recommend the YouTube approach versus the Instagram because it lives on and the tracking's a little right. bit stronger. Yeah, I'm not a fan of Instagram anymore in that sense. I'm being completely honest. I'm a fan of it if you get, you know, like that picture of Gary Vee and you run Instagram ads to small business owners on Instagram. Like that's cool. LinkedIn ads, awesome. But Instagram for me, the algorithm just is, has really changed. And that story post, you know, at the height of it, we were paying $5,000 for a 24-hour story post thinking it was going to do something. And it disappears in 24 hours, like it's gone. And only a small segment of the audience is seeing it. So that's like the most expensive type of influencer marketing. The best is is blogging. So anything YouTube related that lives on, anything blogging related as well. We reach out to all the like review bloggers because SEO takes a long time and it's not a sure thing. So for me, I search best teeth mining kit, take the top 10 search results and contact those guys and say, what can we do to pay you more of a commission to review our product, put us on that list. You know, you got all these other products on that list, put us there. You know, what would that cost to rent that spot? Like, can we, is there anything we do? We know our product is better. So I'm all about buying time, which is, I think why we've been able to kind of skyrocket in three years is I'm always looking for ways to buy time. And I think a mentor of mine always said, you know, OP everything, OP other people's money, other people's network, other people's, you know, time, other people's influence, everything about other people. And that's the way you build a brand in a quick way. Our burn rate on it as a company is less than a million dollars a year and we do everything in house. So like we don't spend a lot of money and even the deals we do get are heavily negotiated upon. And I'm always willing to walk away because there's another celebrity who makes sense or they're go to Hollywood. There's uh, 10,000 Hollywood stars on the walk of fame. So it's like, there's always the next one. Don't get enamored by one person because you're a huge fan of them. Skip to the next one, but lay that seed in case timing changes. They go out and spend a million bucks on a birthday party and all of a sudden, they're willing to do a deal for 50000 instead of 500000 The tide starts to turn, but I think the most important thing is for your customers to see that there are a lot of other people using your product, and that lends itself to the trust and the authority. If you think about it, you go to a B2B software site, and you see what do they have right away? Customers who use our product, and right away you're seeing brands that you recognize. That's going to get you to click that book a demo link as opposed to the competitor site. So that influence works very well in B2B and B2C. 
Yeah, it's interesting. I like how you also parlay, like you take the influencer that you get, you do the sponsorship with them and then use that in your advertising and then also use that to get other influencers. You know, you hit me up and then it was like, oh, Floyd and Gronk, like this is legit. It works. I mean, it breaks down the barrier. Eventually, you have to have your your actual customers fill in the gaps because what happened too is if you do too much celebrity and kind of too many quote unquote good looking people or famous people, then you alienate your core audience where it's kind of like, I don't look like that. You know, it's like a Victoria's Secret effect you're seeing now. It's like, you know, I'm not that skinny. I can't wear this this lingerie or like I feel alienated. And so you got to make sure you balance it out. That's where you go on our website. You'll see some celebrities, but they're sprinkled in with all of our actual users. But on the front end for the ad to grab your attention, we're going to use that celebrity on the front end. We're going to use that press on the front end just so that you know we're legit to come in and give us a shot. But it's really the user-generated content. It's your customers talking about you that are going to keep that boat floating. It's the celebrities happy stand out, and it's the rest that kind of keeps the tone throughout your business. And I would say the majority of our investment this year is going into user-generated content, our ambassador program, getting you know 100,000 people to post for 50 bucks versus just one person to post for a million bucks. I dig it. I mean, I think a lot of the times when I'm here in marketing, you know, a lot of it is putting in the work. It's finding something also that works, right? If you have a thing that fucks up people's teeth or breaks something, you might be able to get a few influencers, but those people probably won't stay around if they're putting out, you know, promoting or recommending shitty products. And then a lot of it is, you know, if you find a channel being persistent with it. The last thing I don't want to stay with is that it's interesting that in terms of revenue, ads is still actually, you know, 80% or 85% of your business what I'm thinking about is that each business owner really needs to think about what is the most effective thing for your own business, regardless of like, oh, everyone's getting a Gary V influencer working strategy or whatever mm-hmm. it is. It's like, yo, what actually works your business? Maybe it's content, maybe it's offline, maybe it's influencer, maybe it's blogging, whatever the hell it is, and then going really deep around that. So I appreciate you coming on. My fiance is loving Try Snow. She's been doing it. And uh, thanks for sharing your stuff, man. Awesome. Thanks, Snow. It's a pleasure. Thank you so much. Thanks, Eddie. Well, that's a wrap. I hope you love the episode. If you did, go give Josh some love at trysnow.com. Thank you so much for coming on the episode. My fiance used it and she already has the best smile in the world, but snow makes it even brighter. Next, text a friend you love them. Yo, dog, let's start an e-commerce company together. And before you go, let me know what you thought of the episode by not emailing me at podcast at okdork.com. And a final special thanks to Jason at podcasttech.com. As always, for making these podcasts sound so damn good. And thank you to Mitchell and David of the Dork Team. And a special shout out to our email content marketing rock star, Lona, at AppSumo for doing everything and being a badass. Thank you so much. Have a super dope day. What's your favorite app? <laughs>